so far in chapter 3, if you recall, we've been considering all of the blessings that are found in wisdom. And even as sin itself is accompanied by both temporal and eternal consequences, so too is wisdom accompanied by temporal and eternal rewards. Now, over the last three Sundays, we considered several of these blessings and rewards. If you recall, in verse 2, we saw that wisdom brings long life. But not only long life, it also brings eternal life as well. In verse 4, we also saw that wisdom is accompanied by favor with God and man. And then in verse 6, we saw that wisdom bestows both positional as well as practical righteousness. While in verse 8, we looked at the fact that wisdom brings healing and good health. And we talked about that at length in the fact that it is not just about wisdom um, keeping you from decisions and choices that harm the body, but we also talked about the fact of wisdom in the last day. Those who hold fast to it will also be glorified in their bodies. And that is, again, the ultimate healing. In verse 10, we also saw that wisdom secures both earthly and treasure and heavenly treasure. And then finally, in verse 12, wisdom guarantees loving correction. And so in the previous verses, we find wisdom's benefits. But now Solomon will turn to wisdom's value. While those who search for earthly treasure are overjoyed when they find it, this joy pales in comparison to those who seek and find wisdom. Wisdom, as we will see, is more precious than silver and gold. Now, to further explore these truths, I want to examine our text today along the following lines. First, we will consider the duty of men to seek God. Then we will consider the inability of men to seek God. And then finally, we will consider the blessing of men who seek God. So again, the duty of men to seek God, the inability of men to seek God, and then the blessing of men who seek God. God. First, consider with me the duty of men to seek God. Solomon again writes in verse 13, how blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Solomon says that the one who finds wisdom and understanding is truly blessed. Now, in the first place, the words find and gain are most important to the understanding of the text this morning. The word find means to acquire. The idea is to obtain as by seeking. 
This word is the same word that is used to describe the activity of the dove that Noah sends out of the ark during the flood in Genesis 8-9. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 9, we read, But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him into the ark, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark to himself. Now, the picture is of a dove, right, flying far and long over the floodwaters, diligently searching for a place of rest, but finding none, she returns back to the ark. And this is the same idea that's being communicated by Solomon here. Wisdom must be diligently sought for, for without it, there can be no eternal rest. Now Solomon also speaks of the man who gains understanding. And the word gains means literally to draw out as metals by digging. Again, this is the image of a prospector who searches for gold. Now, it was said that between 1848 and 1855, there was an event known as the California Gold Rush. This event saw many people traveling long distances and braving harsh conditions in order to pan for gold in California. Many would sacrifice everything in search of finding precious metals. Now, as we will see later in the chapter, Solomon will in fact compare wisdom to silver and gold. And just as a miner searches diligently for silver and gold, so too it is the duty of all men to seek wisdom. They must forsake all else and fix their hope on, an, on obtaining the treasure of heaven. Now, this is no new admonition, for Solomon, again, says the same thing back in chapter 2. In chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, we read, If you seek her, speaking of wisdom, as silver, and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. And so as you may recall, seeking wisdom is closely associated with seeking God. In fact, we can say to seek wisdom is to seek God, for the embodiment of all wisdom is found in none other than Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30. And so the scriptures are abundantly clear that it is the duty of all men in both the Old and the New Testament to seek God. The prophet Isaiah, for instance, says in Isaiah 55, verses 6 to 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, 
for he will abundantly pardon. In Isaiah 55, we see that the wicked and the unrighteous are exhorted to seek God. They must seek him while he must, while he can be found, which implies then that there is a time where he may not be found. In other words, the time to seek the Lord is limited. Unbeliever, do you know that your time is limited? That the Lord will not always extend his offers of peace to you. There is a time when God casts men into the eternal hell. Therefore, I say to you, seek the Lord now whilst he may be found. Again, over in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear that all men are to seek God. In Acts chapter 17, verses 24 to 27, very familiar portion of scripture, the Apostle states, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in, in temples made with hands nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should, that they would Seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Again, during what is commonly called um, Paul's second missionary journey, we see that Paul is in Athens. Previously, he had traveled with Silas and Timothy to Berea, And there at Berea, they found much success for the gospel. But not everyone rejoices at the success of the gospel in Berea. In fact, we are told that there were certain Jews from Thessalonica that came to stir up trouble for the apostle and his companions. Immediately then, Paul is sent away by himself to Athens. And while waiting in Athens, it says that in his spirit, he was stirred up, seeing all of the idols that were present there. This, of course, leads the apostle to let the people know who the unknown God truly is. God is the creator, a topic in which we will explore more detail next week. He is also the sustainer. He is the one who gives life and upholds all things. He alone has life in himself, we learn from the passage. And though God possesses life in himself, 
and is dependent on no one, we are, in fact, dependent upon God. And this is why we must seek him. In fact, the Apostle Paul also says that God actually created men to seek him. In other words, it is the duty of all men to seek God. And this duty men will fulfill if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now, Paul mentions a serious problem towards the end of these verses. He says that man must grope for God. He must do so as one who gropes in the darkness for an object. You see, God is near, but man is blind. And so Paul presents us with a fatal flaw that hinders all men from fulfilling this duty. And that flaw is sin. Paul also writes of this fatal flaw in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 18. He says, What then are we, speaking of the Jews collectively, better than they, speaking of the Gentiles collectively? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, as it is written. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, again, the Apostle Paul, the same one that back over in Acts tells us that it is the duty of all men to seek God, here again says that all men are unable to seek God. Is this a contradiction? How can God require what man is incapable of? Is this not unjust? The answer, of course, is that it is not unjust. In fact, what would be unjust is for God to lower his standard. The same standard, by the way, that man was able to fulfill in his original created state. What would be a contradiction is for the immutable God to change his disposition towards sin and his own glory. And so inability does not excuse responsibility. You see, God has not changed, 
but man has. In fact, it says that man has fallen short of his unchangeable glory. This is what Paul says again in Romans 3. Now, in Romans 3, Paul actually quotes from several of the Psalms. He quotes, first of all, from Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3, which states, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. He also quotes from Psalm 5.9. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with the tongue. Again, he quotes from Psalm 140, verse 3. They sharpen their tongues as a serpent. Poison of a viper is under their lips. Selah. He quotes from Psalm 10, verse 7. His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. And he quotes from Psalm 36, verse 1. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. So both Jews and Greeks alike find themselves in a miserable state. Now, the use of the term Greek here is used as representative of the nations. In other words, all men do not seek God. Or, as the passage puts it, there is none who seeks for God. Now, if this indeed is the case, is there any hope? If the duty of all mankind is to seek God, but all mankind is incapable of seeking God, what are we to do? In other words, we are powerless to change our condition. We are both helpless and hopeless. Or are we? I say to you today that we are neither without hope nor without help. For the solution lies in the very thing that we are incapable of doing, which is to seek God. This is possible because the problem is resolved by the promise. And the promise is Christ. By faith, seek Christ. For though you are unable, he is able You see, the sum total of Christianity is not just about what we turn from, but also what we turn to. To only turn from sin would be legalism, and in the end, it would lead to a dead end. But we must also turn to someone. 
We must turn to Christ and pursue him. We must seek him and his wisdom. For it is only when we find Christ, who is the wisdom of God, that Solomon says that we are truly blessed. Again, going back to Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon says, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than fine gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Now, as one commentator writes about these verses, no precious jewels or earthly treasures are worthy to be compared with true wisdom. Whether the concerns of time or eternity be considered, we must make wisdom our business. We must venture all in it and be willing to part with all for it. This wisdom is the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation, sought and obtained by faith and prayer. And so I say to you, in your heart, is Christ the pearl of great price? Is he more valuable to you than precious metals? To put it in another way, do you serve God or the gods of silver and gold? Jesus himself says in Matthew 6:24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You see, whom you love, you will serve, and you will be devoted to. And no one can serve two masters. So here's a few diagnostic questions to ask. Are you more concerned about your finances than you are about your fellowship with God? Or do you spend more time thinking about your earthly future rather than your eternal one? And is your happiness ultimately dictated by God or by God's gifts? This leads us to our final point this morning, which is the blessing of men who seek God. Now, the word blessed is often thrown around. As a matter of fact, I've already used it several times throughout the course of this Bible study. It means happiness. And so versions such as the New King James Version translates verse 13 as follows. It says, happy, right, there's a word for blessed, is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. While in verse 18, the word for happy is translated as blessed in versions such as the ESV. That states, those who hold fast are called blessed. Right? There's our word for happy. Now we know that God showers his children 
with many blessings. And all his gifts bring happiness. In fact, Solomon unashamedly presents this as motivation for seeking wisdom. Going back to Proverbs 3, Solomon, once more personifying wisdom, writes, Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Life, riches, honor, and peace await those who seek wisdom. And no good thing does God withhold from his people. And so the psalmist says, for instance, in Psalm 34, verse 10, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. And again, in Lamentations 3.25, we read, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. Now, God's gifts are an extension of who he is. His gifts are good because he is good in nature. So we should never think it unworthy to praise him for what he does, nor downplay any of his benefits, for they are indeed great in number. They are both temporal and eternal. They are both physical and spiritual. Indeed, as the psalmist says in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Going back to Proverbs 3, one commentator writes of Lady Wisdom, Behold this heavenly queen dispensing her blessings on the right hand and on the left. Her right hand presents the promise of both worlds. The rich enjoyment of this world's lawful comforts and yet higher joy of serving the Lord and his church, a privilege for which the apostle was content for a while to be detained from heaven. Add eternity to the balance, length of days without end, and the amount sets at naught all computation. Her left hand offers riches and honors so far as may be for her children's good. Yet, in their highest splendor, only a feeble picture of her more durable riches and of the honor of a heavenly crown. Again, all that to say that God is so good to us that we don't even realize it. His blessings are so numerous, and yet we can find ourselves complaining because of the things we lack. May God forgive us and turn our eyes back onto him. For indeed, he is not only the source of all blessing, but he is the fountainhead of all happiness and joy. And so our happiness will remain incomplete so long as it only centers upon what he does for us. Our happiness and satisfaction 
will rise and fall as gifts come and go. But it will remain constant and protected no matter the circumstances if we seek him for who he is. And so the greatest blessing is found in pursuit of his person. Again, in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 10, we read, Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. And again, the psalmist writes in verse, Psalm 40, verse 16, Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Now, can you say this along with the authors of Scripture? Is it the Lord himself that makes you glad, or is it really his benefits? Does meditating upon God and his salvation lead to rejoicing and praise? And then do you know the joy of sins forgiven and righteousness given. David, in repenting of sin, cries out, Restore to me the joy of salvation. You see, there is joy in salvation, brethren. Not all tears are tears of sadness. Some tears are tears of joy. And what greater joy is there than sins forgiven? Again, do you know the happiness of being not only set free from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin in your life? Is the inward tune of your heart more love to thee, O Christ? It will be if your heart is set on him. You see, when you're heart is set in Christ and you seek him for who he is, not only do you receive countless blessings, but your joy remains constant even when situations change. I think of the words of Christ again on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus again says in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, perpetual, perpetual happiness does not preclude sorrow and mourning, for we live in a fallen world. But those who know their God also know the comfort that God gives even in the midst of grief and pain. Satan, nor any of his followers, can steal our joy, for it is indeed hidden in Christ. Again, Jesus says in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know, contrary to popular belief, Holiness also brings happiness. It is not a burden 
or a necessary evil of being a Christian. And so ask yourself, does holiness bring you joy or does it get in the way of your enjoyment? Do you seek first Christ's kingdom and his righteousness or all the things that God promises will be added to you? Again, Jesus continues in verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Again, do you happily bear the reproach of men because you love Christ? Or do you fear those who at most can kill the body? Are you ashamed to be persecuted for Christ? You will be if your joy is only tied to what he gives. Now, on the other hand, if you seek the the Lord because of who he is, then even persecution can't steal your joy. Do you remember how the apostles responded to the flogging that they received at the hands of the council? In Acts chapter 5, we have that recorded event. Acts chapter 5, verses 40 to 41, we read, They took his advice, speaking of Gamaliel, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. It says this, So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. You see, even though the apostles suffered persecution, they were happy. They were truly blessed. How could they do this unless their happiness was first and foremost found in the one whom they had considered worthy to suffer shame for. And so, the man who finds Christ, who lays hold of him, is truly blessed. He is truly happy. Do you know of that happiness this day? You will, if you hold fast to Christ, Again, returning back to Proverbs 3, verse 18, speaking of Lady Wisdom, Solomon states, Happy are all who hold her fast. Believer, in the first place, the sum total of the matter is that your happiness is dependent upon you holding fast to your Savior. Your joy will continue in proportion to it. And though God preserves us, yet it is our duty to persevere, for the promises are to him that overcome it. 
Secondly, how exceedingly sinful then it is for us having experienced the goodness of God to then return to sin in pursuit of joy and happiness. May God forgive us for his goodness towards us should be a motivation for holiness, not for sin. And to the unbeliever, I remind you once more that though all men are unable to seek God, it is nevertheless your duty to seek him. And the promise of God in Christ obtained through faith makes it possible, and I say even definite, for you to do so. And so, I say unto you this morning, resist not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Hear the word of God today and believe. Lay hold of Christ and his wisdom, for it is indeed the only way to truly be blessed. Trade your filthy rags for his riches. Again I say, he is able. So come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Amen? Let's go to the Lord, a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word that guides and instructs us. We thank you once again for your kind providences. Indeed, you are so good to us in so many ways that we fail to acknowledge and to thank you. Lord, help us to meditate upon your goodness towards us. And help us to meditate upon your good nature. Your gifts are good because you are good. And help us to hold fast to you. And hold fast to this truth. Lord, let us not only glory in the, in the good gifts that you give us, but also glory in who you are. May our hearts well up with praise and rejoicing as we meditate upon all of your attributes. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us, for indeed we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God that we love, prone to forget your goodness towards us and your kindness and, and, and how you have lavishly blessed us. We forget and somehow we go back and think that sin can bring us satisfaction. Sin can bring us joy. But it is a lie. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of your people this morning. As we hear the word, that you would 
that this word preached might be fire shot up in us to live holy lives that reflect the life of our Savior. That we would be people that both preach and live the gospel before a dying and lost world. Lord, I also pray for those who do not know you, who, like the dove in Genesis, who flew far and long, searching for rest and finding none. I pray that those who do not know you may seek you and find rest in the sun, that you would save and raise up another generation, that you would indeed do your mighty work in the hearts of all those who are in my hearing this morning. Again, we pray more love unto thee, and it's in Jesus' name, amen.